Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Ian Rickson. I'm a theatre director, and welcome to my podcast, What I Love. In all the time I've worked in the theatre, I've been lucky to meet some extraordinary artists. In this series, I speak with some of them in the silence of an empty theatre stage and ask them about three things that they love, a song, a film, and a piece of writing. I'm looking to discover why we especially cherish certain things and how we reveal ourselves through the things we love. Ben Whishaw is one of our most distinctive and moving actors. You might know him as Q in the Bond films, the voice of Paddington Bear, as Jeremy Thorpe's secret lover in the TV adaptation of A Very English Scandal, or from his many compelling theatre performances. Growing up in Bedfordshire, a twin, Ben was the first in his family to follow an interest in acting. Following a performance as Hamlet at the Old Vic in 2004, he began to appear on big and small screens regularly, taking on roles that marked him out as an actor with a deep, soulful range, as well as a searching intelligence. Ben also performs in the theatre regularly, and he and I have worked together several times, including a version of Jez Butterworth's Mojo, at the Harold Pinter Theatre in 2013. And it was back on this same stage that Ben and I met in July 2020. So you've just met our sound recordist for the first time for 20 odd years. You were in the youth theatre together in Hitchin. This is right, yeah. Where a young Ben Whishaw was acting in quite a radical youth theatre. Yeah. I mean, it only takes one good teacher to spark a fire and get you going, doesn't it? Oh my God, yeah. And the older I get, the more I'm appreciative of those people. Um, yeah, Rory really opened up my world. Didn't he, James? He was kind of... He, he was, was fantastic. He was extraordinary. Is extraordinary. I think he's still going. Yeah, yeah we did Greek plays, we did... Shakespeare, we did adaptations of really difficult books, like yeah. Primo Levi. Amazing. He didn't treat us like children. No. That's beautiful. No. Yeah. Yeah, it was quite remarkable. I love to hear a writer talk about writers or director talk about directors. And we come together with you sharing three things you love. The first of which is a film called Love Streams, directed by John Cassavetes. And I'm going to talk about the film in a minute, but I'd love to hear you as an actor talk about the acting of Jenna Rowlands. And for those of you who haven't seen the film, Jenna Rowlands, one of the great American actresses, she was married to John Cassavetes. This is John Cassavetes' last film, effectively. It's shot in their house, 
Cassavetes is dying of cirrhosis and um, in the middle of this film with John Cassavetes playing a brother, Jenna Rowlands playing his sister, is this performance which, I mean, I'm still reeling from it, watching it, just admiring the amazing skill of this actress. Yeah. It's really hard to talk about, isn't it? Why, why someone is as powerful as she is. Um, I've been thinking about it a lot, actually, in preparation for this talk. And I've been watching her again and watching interviews with her. And I think the thing that um, strikes me is that she doesn't act. It's not acting. Mm. And I know that we say that a lot, and you know that's what we're all striving to do. But her acting seems to come from some other place that's not to do at all with putting things on or pretending. It's something to do with how she uses herself. Yes. Um, and how generous and brave she's willing to be with herself. Yes. Apparently she really loved, she loved the period before filming when she just sat with the text and thought about it. And she felt very protective of that time and didn't ever want to let that time go. And um, yes, she, uh, she says in an interview how you know, she'd be with her child, one of her children, and something that her child had said would make her think of something, a little detail <laughs> that related to mm. her character. And then she was off. Mm. <laughs> and, and her kid was always like, Earth the mother, Earth the mother. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, come back. Yes. But, um, I, I, I relate to that, a kind mm. of... Um, you can feel a bit empty and a bit unsure of who you are if you don't have a character mm. like that that you're carrying around um, there's this beautiful thing that um, John Cassavetes says about acting well, he talks about what he likes to do as a director and he says something like my system as a director is to create as much chaos as possible or confusion I think is the word confusion as possible so that the actors know without doubt that they're completely on their own <laughs> and that what they're being asked to do is to reveal themselves mm. actually to reveal their life and bits of their life that they don't even know about mm. and I think that that's what she embodies completely it's her life mm. it's her life she's sharing it's that's where the honesty comes from that's yes. what you feel yes um, when you watch her yes and I think increasingly that's quite a rare quality and other kinds of acting now are perhaps admired more mm. or win mm. awards more or whatever the preparation zone you talked about Jenna Rowland's loving I can feel your empathy with that and you create these lovely notebooks which mm. might have real paraphernalia in them they might have um your objectives, they might have a postcard or a drawing, mm. they'll have all sorts of ephemera you can draw from. And finding that 
space and time. So when you do show up, you've got a kind of rucksack on your back of stuff to draw from is so yeah. important, isn't it? But then when you talked about Cassavetti's creating chaos, I thought, how would Ben be in that? Would you, <laughs> would you be as fired up as maybe Jenna was? Or do you need surroundings that are more protective? I think I do, um, yeah. But I think that actually the chaos or the confusion that John Cassavetti's created was protective. Yes, I agree. Um, I think that that's how it felt for the actors. Yeah. And somewhere else in another interview, Jenna says, you know, you, you knew he loved you. And when you feel loved by your director you're probably going to do your best work. Yeah. And I think that is absolutely true. If you feel that kind of scene, scene-ness. Yes. Y- yeah. Yes. To be validated, to yeah. be allowed to make mistakes, absolutely. to be free, but yeah. to be held yeah. in a boundary. Yeah. And it shouldn't just be unconditional gushing love. It's like there's intervention and challenge. Totally. Yeah. I was looking at, one of the scenes in the film Love Streams, which is a film about love, as shown in the title. And um, the character Jenna Rowlands plays is estranged from her husband and 10-year-old daughter. And there's a narrative all the way through the film where Sarah, that's her character, kind of loves too much and her brother, Robert, won't love at all. And this twinning going on through the film... Towards the end of the film, Jenna Rowlands is um, motivated to try and make her husband, (laughs) ex-husband and daughter laugh. And I think it's one of the most incredible scenes I've ever seen in a film. Me too. Because just craft-wise, and you'll you'll get this, her commitment to playing her objective in Mm. the scene is so pure. Mm. You sort of lose everything else and you feel this woman's voracious, hungry need to extract some sort of joy out of her (laughs) ex-husband who's just sat there and the daughter brilliantly played uh, who doesn't quite know what to do and then at the end of the sequence I don't know whether you remember she does this sort of backflip into the pool I mean the film is jerky restless some of its politics sexually feels kind of odd now Mm. but it's so itself and it's so unlike anything else Mm -hmm. so i absolutely loved i I mean i love his films anyway but i'd never seen that one Mm. i wonder why you chose that one because you know there are others that are more well known yeah um well i love them all too i've seen them all many times but this one um I think it, it, it's in a way his most realised. Yeah. It, it feels like, I think in some ways, his, I mean, they're all personal, but it feels extremely personal, I think, especially because they're acting together, yeah. husband and wife. Yeah. And there's something incredibly moving yeah. about that. Um, I was reading another sort of analysis of his films, which I thought was so on point, which, which says that he's a kind of surrealist. We think of him as this kind of, realist guy but actually they're more like surrealism and this film really goes into strange territory there's weird dream sequences or weird imaginings and even when we're apparently in reality it's all quite peculiar (laughs) there's a scene where Jenna Rowlands brings practically a whole menagerie of animals home so that the house is overrun with small horses and chickens and 
there's an opera at one point. That, yes. Um, <laughs> so it's, it, I think, um, the, the, the courage, the, the pushing of the form feels most extreme and most him in yes. this film to me. Yes. Because we know how important Cassavetes is as an influence for people like Martin Scorsese. Mm. But when you feel into the freedom and intensity of expression in his films, mm. that feels to me really unusual. Like mm. I can't really reference it in any films now and that's kind of restless, lurid, mm. intense jerky yep. quality of the films they feel infectious to watch I feel the kind of feeling of them in my body afterwards mm -hmm. but they're absolutely underwired by this absolute truth in the acting yep <sighs> yeah <laughs> and he talked about the blessing of expressing oneself yeah Cassavetes that the, he was talking about opening night but the idea that you can make something in celluloid that would absolutely awaken the emotions that would feel um, countercultural, mm. but anyone could watch it, mm. you know. Well, I think the big thing that I love about him is that he's totally uninterested in entertainment. Yes. They're, they're not meant to entertain you. They're not meant to pacify you. You're not there to... <laughs> you know, have a lovely time and you won't because yeah. they're, they're very long, they, they're baggy and some scenes go on way longer than they appear to need to. They're boring sometimes. They're sometimes really troubling, as you say, in their sexual politics, all sorts of things. But somehow you, there's something real in them um, that is kind of addictive. Yeah. And yeah, I, I can't think of of anything like it. I mean, he, he, he says, you know, he's interested in specifics, you know, so it, it's about creating a moment, you know, and then you leave that open to people. Mm. Some people will find it tedious. Some people will find it the most mm. moving thing they've ever seen because it's about them. They see something of themselves mm. in it. Mm. Um, but I think yeah. what would the films be without... Jenna and to credit Cassavetes he's entirely interested in the female psyche yeah in the female psyche being under enormous pressure yeah. in the domestic so I feel any little quibbles I have now about mm. wow that behavior of that man is mm. tricky and that is that being challenged by the film gets waylaid by what the heart of the films is that's right I mean he wrote role after role after role for her they're never victims, these women. They're um, always furiously alive, passionate. I mean, there's definitely something in him that's interested in, you know, craziness, what we might call people, yeah. people who are mad in some way. Yes. Or what we would call mad. And I think he's, all the films are questioning that. It's like, well... You know, Jenna says in an interview somewhere, it's not that they're mad. They just want something else from life. They have yeah. a different dream. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I, I think I'm drawn to. Yeah. There's some longing in them that's not, as you say, it's not. It's countercultural. It's against the social. It's mm. against nice, tidy things. Yeah. 
when you settle on that and you think about the sensibility of that couple, Cassavetes yeah. and Rollins, and we're in lockdown, mm. and I'm thinking of how you are when you're in that flow state and how you might be awkward with small talk out of the rehearsal room or off of the stage. You might be introverted and withdrawn. But there's something about the hurly-burly and the whirligig energy of making mm. that allows you to fully come alive. I mm. mean, I could see you on one of those Cassavetes shoots because I think you'd belong in it. And I'd love to see a scene with you in Generosa. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm also struck that we're so far away from that and we've had to extract ourselves from tactile mm. emotional psychological mingling mm. and I've really struggled with that over the last period since March and of course it's good to stop mm. and to rest and all of the other dividends we get from stillness mm. but I hear you talk and I I wonder do you miss it well it's interesting because I didn't think I was missing it. But then this week, watching Love Streams again, watching Jenna again, watching them both talking about what they do, I felt it again. And I actually... One of the reasons I really wanted to talk about this film and about them is that they really are for me. If I get lost, and we all get lost, don't we, in our work and in our lives over the whole time, over a life... Mm. Um, I go back to them yes, and I feel refreshed yes. and I feel inspired and I felt inspired again this week I, I felt oh yeah I, I remember now I know why I do this yes. I know why I want to do this more yes um, so yeah I felt it again this week which has been a good feeling and I know I'll be ready when it when it comes and yeah. I'll be hungry yeah yeah that's great to hear yeah <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, I think we should stay in America <laughs> for your second choice, which is a short story called Chaunt by Joy Williams, which I've now read three or four times. It's detonated in me in a really potent way. So 
the form of the short story is so elusive, isn't it? And you mm-hmm. can, you, you'll have finished it in 20 minutes. But then you find yourself held by its spell. Mm-hmm. So tell us a bit about this story and how you found it. And um, Well, I um, had never heard of this writer, Joy Williams, um, until I was in New York last year. And I actually, I'd been talking to Polly about, we'd been talking about trolls and twins and changelings. And I walked into a bookshop when I arrived in New York and there was a book on the shelf called The Changeling. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's, that's what we've been talking about. I, so I picked it up and I started reading it. it was, and it's by Joy Williams. And it was so weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, but completely like nothing else I had ever come across. And after that, a bit like I was with John Cassavetes, I just read everything that she ever has written. And so the, I discovered this short story. I think she writes novels, but she also writes a lot. A short story, in a way, is her, her form. Um, and I discovered this in The New Yorker. And also, you can hear her read it there as well, which is a really particular pleasure. And it's about a woman called Jane Click. Mm. And Jane Click has lost her son who's called Billy, who's about eight or nine years old. And Billy was knocked off his bike with his friend Jerry whilst they were visiting a place called Chaunt. And at Chaunt, there's a kind of ruin of a chapel. And the boys have become obsessed with visiting this chapel. And the chapel, they report to Jane Click is full of animals which it seems only they can see and these animals appear to be in some state of waiting for something to happen it's very mysterious Mm. it's such a peculiar image but it's the kind of central image of Mm. the story and so the story alternates between memories of her boys of her boy and their experiences at this ruined space and the place that Jane Click has removed mm. herself to mm. in her grief which is a sort of strange kind of retirement home called The Dove I guess it's a story about what we've done to the earth a story about innocence and loss of innocence and about grief and kind of about God or something, or something that maybe we don't have words for. Like, there's a, there's a really deep mystery in the story. And I'm in, I guess one of the reasons I wanted to talk about her, also in relation to John Cassavetes, because Cassavetes, I think, puts humans, you know, right at the centre of his work. It's all about people, faces, yeah. bodies, relationships. And Joy Williams does the opposite. The humans are kind of slightly pushed to the edges of her stories and you just know the characters through these weird fragments and at the centre instead is kind of the natural world animals and a kind of absence a sort of a void which might be God or it might be but it's very it's like it's a very unusual way of looking at life which I find incredibly um well, kind of moving, actually. 
Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think the segue you made from Cassavetes to Williams, you know, and there's a couple of decades in there, although Joy Williams is in her 70s, isn't she? And she's she's yeah. an environmentalist. Yes. She's written uh, Nature Guides. What connects them as well is this kind of longing yeah. for a connection or meaning. And what she smuggles into... 20 pages mm. in terms of how we make sense of our longing yeah and where are we emotionally yeah biochemically and politically all of the elderly stored up in this kind of dovecote <laughs> yet this sort of glimpsing that as the protagonist tries to feel a way into what her son and his friend could see mm. so it's very um, kaleidoscopic and mm. uh, bold actually mm -hmm. yet it has this economy of execution mm -hmm. where she doesn't use many words nope. and we're kind of invited into a sort of enigma that's exactly right Ian I think that's why it's a story I've gone back to again and again sometimes I just put it on and at night I hear her speaking it yeah there's something about it. That's why I... Because I know you were in, inviting people to talk about poems, but I think of it like a poem. Yeah. It, it's not really working like a story. Yeah. It takes you into something much more dreamlike and um, associative and into a kind of riddle or an enigma. And I guess she, she's not just talking about enigmas or mysteries. She, the story creates one. There is one there at the centre of it which is what these boys have seen, um, what they're able to experience and what we as older people have lost contact with. Beautiful. There's a real loss of wonder. Yeah. I'm going to ask you just to read a little extract in a minute. And it ends with a provocation, really, from Joy Williams, who's you know, approaching her 80s, uh, to the reader, really, mm. to find our own wonder mm. and the numinous and whatever that is. And she's around all these people and tiny details like someone else in this old age people's home mourns the fact he's got loads of elk <laughs> defrosting in his freezer. <laughs> and she'll drop in little details like that. Yeah. That, like I say, they detonate in the mind. Yeah. Um, it's such a great form, isn't it, the short story? There are these little jewels that yeah. you can, at your peril, just push through. But actually savouring them, as you say, like a poem, yeah. is really a um, meditative thing to do. Yeah, um, I agree. And I find phrases from it come back into my mind, like poetry does sometimes. Yeah. There's a beautiful line when... She's talking about the kids have come home from the chapel <laughs> and she's talking to them slightly patronisingly. Yeah. She doesn't believe what they've seen. Yeah. And she smiles at them and Joy Williams writes something like, um, she remembers smiling, she can feel it still on her lips, the falsity and carelessness of it. And how often have we done that? Yeah. To, to, I think that's so true. And you sit, no, a child makes you feel your own fakeness, don't, yes. don't they, sometimes? Yes. Your own kind of guarded, barriered, uh, human adult behaviour. Um, that's the bit I have, Ben. Right. <laughs> yeah. And 
I don't mean you to emulate Joy Williams, but it might be nice just to have a bit of you yeah, reading sure, it. Yeah, sure, I'd love to. Um, I'd, I'd love to. Have you got that. enough lights? Yeah, if do. You, do you watch your logo, Ian? Yeah. Um, okay. Nor would she be able to state with any surety whether it was Billy who had discovered the church at Chaunt or whether the boys had discovered it together. It had been more chapel than church, with a single, long, rectangular room, and more rubble than chapel now. It took an extravagance of imagination to see it as a house of praise. The roof was gone, though a wheel window remained unbroken, high above the absent door. Inside, a few pews lay scattered, as though smashed with an axe. The long room was full of animals. They weren't made-up animals, Billy said. They weren't people or statues. They weren't zoo animals exactly either, said Jerry. There wasn't an elephant or a lion or a polar bear, not exactly. They were waiting, Billy said. But they weren't waiting for us. You know when a dog is lost and he looks at you intently for a minute? But, well, less than a minute, Billy said. Less than a minute then. (laughs) But then he realises that you aren't the one that he needs to find. They looked at us that way, and then they went back to waiting. There wasn't a sound. You couldn't even hear them breathe, but then you could. Once they know you're not who they're waiting for, they don't look at you anymore. They become motionless. Yes, motionless, but still animals. All the animals you'd ever hope to see, Jerry said with joy. She tried to get them to describe the animals. Did the boys speak to them or touch them? Were they birds? They were birds, apparently, but very small ones. Were there horses there? When she was a child, she wanted to be a horse. She had a treasured collection of horses, metal, ceramic, plastic, wood. She had never ridden a horse or cared for one, but she had kept pictures of them and much commentary concerning them in a large black notebook for many years, though the book had been missing for just as long. Maybe someone's using it as a barn, she said. A corral. Her son regarded her with disappointment. Maybe. Not really, Jerome said politely. When you're there, you know that something is going to happen any moment and you wait with them so you can be there when it happens, Billy said. You haven't been invited to stay, but you're welcome to stay. It's just about to happen. But what? she asked, smiling. And why? She remembers smiling. She can feel it still on her lips, the falsity and carelessness of it. Then they spoke no further of the ruined little building and the animals. Though sometimes she thinks that they did, that indeed that was all they spoke about. But she cannot remember it now. She cannot remember The boys continued to travel out there. They would take sandwiches and jars of water and be gone all day. Something extraordinary was about to be known, yet at the same time it would never be known. That was what she thought. That was its disturbing beauty, what made it irresistible. She thought, soon the children will no longer realise what they understand. They will no longer be at ease with wonder. They will be unable to abide it.
It's very moving, isn't it? Very moving. <laughs> and transporting in one way into the Joy Williams sensibility. And in another way, I feel like the best art, metaphorical in all sorts of ways. You know, mm. that chapel is like the theatres for me. Yeah. That feels so That's right. ruined and separate. And we're longing to refine that wonder. Yeah. But where are we? And this other current coming in. Yeah. Which could be mortality or what's happening globally. Yeah. Um, so I guess you can sequester yourself in a story like that. Yeah. And it can provide, well, deep meaning and some sort of solace that you find a mirror or it enables you to see yourself. Mm-hmm. I've been living a version of you for a week, watching one of your favourite films, reading that story again and again. And we'll come to the music in a minute. And that's such a privilege because you learn to see the world through someone's eyes, yours, and you're enlarged by the love of somebody else for things. Yeah. Uh, I mean... Whenever I would direct a play by Harold Pinter, I know what his favourite music is. Bang! <laughs> that goes on when I'm running or driving. Yeah. Uh, I know what art he loved, so mm. I get that up. And I just sort of marinate myself mm. in the absolute DNA of what someone loves yeah. as a kind of conduit into, into them. them. And their work. Yeah. yeah. And that's very intimate, but it's hopefully also protective for you as an interviewee because I know you don't want to come here and just waffle on about yourself of course I'd like that it'd be interesting <laughs> but I prefer the shadow play of it through things you love because there's something about the way you come alive yeah with the protection of it being you and Joy you yeah. and Jenna yeah maybe it's something about being an actor but I, I feel more alive when I've got something like that I can yeah it's funny just to sit and talk about yourself. I don't know why I feel that. Um, I understand it. Yeah. And what are you doing it for? Are you doing it to sell a film or to well, publicise exactly. a play? Yeah. And is that authentic? And are yeah. you, in a way, acting a version of Ben? Yeah, I think you end up doing that, don't you? Almost as a protective thing to... I mean, the whole situation of being interviewed, often it's a peculiar fake set up you know so it's hard to be at ease and it's yes. hard to be authentic and yes i don't like that really no. i don't want to be in that space and i'm probably looking at my watch in the rehearsal room thinking oh well ben had to do that big interview in lunchtime <laughs> like he hasn't had a break i want him back in the room mm. and the poor pr person is saying well they need another half an hour and it feels like it crashes in yeah it's very complex. On the other hand, we want the message of this play or totally. whatever being out there. Totally, and you do but, have to just sort of get on with it. It's just yeah. the way it is. Yeah. But, you know, also, I look at Jenna Rowlands. I look at John Cassavetes. They were uncompromising. They did not do anything they didn't want to do. Yeah. And I, I love that they just insisted that on doing it their way and that people would come to them. And people didn't really come to them. People didn't watch those no. films. no. It's now that we can enjoy them. Yeah. But they didn't care, it seems, because they were doing what they loved. But anyway. John Cassavetes is a confident American 
extrovert. Yes, he so is. So when you see him in his interviews, he, he doesn't mind saying, TV is bullshit, or whatever. <laughs> he just... Whereas you're an English That's introvert right. from Bedfordshire. <laughs> and you, I don't think you should feel pressured to be like that. No, I don't feel pressure. And I couldn't be, and I don't want to be. But I think you can draw from it. You yeah. can draw yeah. some inspiration. I think you're drawing from both a blood transfusion yeah. of emboldened spirit. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah, I, I I'm too. getting that. Yeah. Like just to talk about what really matters, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, in in your work, yeah. Um, but you do that all the time, Ian. You're extremely rigorous about what you choose and what you can inhabit, and I admire that so much that you've never done anything that's not got total integrity about it. Well, I'm lucky. I'm really lucky. Yeah, but you, it would be impossible for you to do something, <laughs> yeah, just for money or. Yeah. Um, I, That's I true. see that. Thank you. Yeah. I was thinking if we've travelled from Cassavetes to Joy Williams and if Joy Williams wanted an audio accompaniment to her story, Chaunt, it would be The Garden by <laughs> PJ Harvey. <laughs> and the enchantment, danger, the mysterious entirely for me plays into the landscape of the garden and 10 years ago maybe less um polly harvey pj harvey and she by the way was the polly that said you should read this book um she said to me i would really really like to meet ben wishaw so one of my jobs was delivering you mm. to her apartment mm. and when you talked about trolls there, I was thinking, really, I'm like a sort of, like a convener of trolls. Because <laughs> I look at you and Polly Harvey together, and you are like some strange, very rare breed, sort of like, well, let's say wood trolls. You know, it's very sensitive, but strong, with a very similar love of tenderness but darkness and I wonder whether there was something in meeting Polly ah fellow tribes person for you yeah definitely but I felt that before I even met her yeah, <laughs> yeah. because her music meant so much to me from such a young age and but yeah no definitely I, I do feel that about Polly and we laugh about it like we're kind of well I am a twin but she's like my <laughs> My other twin, somehow. Yeah. My yeah. sort of um, troll twin. Yeah, I mean, that's going through the choices, isn't it? The brother-sister intensity of love streams. Yeah. Then Jerry and Billy and their twinship ruptured mm. by what happens in Chaunt. And then you and Polly and, I guess, teenage Ben listening to Is This Desire in 1998, mm -hmm. which I think is one of Polly's sublime albums and I called her yesterday and I said okay The Garden and she said well Ian that's one of my favourite ever songs in one of my favourite ever albums oh um, that's really that's cool how did how did you alight upon The Garden by PJ Harvey it was the first thing that sprang into my mind when you said what's a song you go back to yeah and then I went round the houses thinking maybe it was too 
personal choice or something, and then I just thought, oh, sod it. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it. I, yeah. I mean, the, the version that's on the album is very, very beautiful, and, but with quite a lot of production on it, pianos yes. and a kind of a beat, a yes. dance beat almost. Yes. Kind of strange, skittery yeah. dance beat that comes and goes. Um, there's another version, there's a demo, and it's sort of more similar to ones that Polly's performed live. It's quite stripped down and just on guitar, and it's also very beautiful. Oh, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Um, Why do demos so often deliver... I mean, probably PJ Harvey would hate us saying this, but there's something so... In their analogue simplicity, mm. something so direct... Yeah, I totally agree. And I was thinking, what is... I mean, the, 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 I love the album version, and I love... Because I love that piano that comes in. I find it so moving, that sort of insistent piano chords. But the the sparer version, I suppose, allows you to see the pictures of the language, the pictures that have been painted by yeah. the language. And you can go on this little story that Polly's... There inside the garden Came another with his lips Said won't you come and be my lover Let me give you a little kiss She's a comrade of Joy Williams there in a kind of economical execution, but such richness, which allows such space for the listener. Yep. And, you know, to start a song with, and he was walking in the garden, <laughs> and then to open us up to this almost biblical, mm. mythical domain where there's such a kind of search for um, love. Mm. and knowledge mm. and you know one of the protagonists is searching for this spirit animal songbird mm. and then you get this refrain which is so in concert with the musical orchestration of the song the trouble taking place mm. so i don't know what you go to music for you know to be roused to be thawed to be tenderized to be transported but this song propels you into this state of yearning mm. and lostness mm -hmm. that kind of can overcome you yeah and i've seen her sing it live very yeah. simply and it can absolutely arrest 1200 people in a venue expecting mm. the rock and roll songs mm. it's also a song about two men yeah <laughs> yeah um and i think when i was a teenager yeah. listening for the first time my ears my ears went to that fact. It's two men meeting in a garden. Yes. One of them goes to his knees. I, I think... Because I didn't grow up with a lot of kind of... Well, there wasn't a kind of 
a lot of queer or gay stuff around culture you know and weirdly Polly's music really speaks to that part of myself yeah because I find the music it's got the most extraordinary mix of male and female energy in it because it's kind of male music I mean this is all sort of generalized but it's sort of blues inspired isn't it her music and it's kind of heavy and dark and often slow and rhythmic but then her energy her voice her this and there's something about those two things I don't know if I'm making any sense but that has always spoken to a very deep part of me I think that's really rich and Polly has that masculine-feminine duality. You can see her strut to the front of the stage with a guitar. And mm. as you say, the vernacular of the music is yeah. sort of masculine blues. Yeah. And then she can let out that feminine falsetto. Yeah. Or she can go on the piano and the tenderness of it. Yeah. So her ability to sway between masculine and feminine is wonderful. But I think the great actors have that. Mm. I mean, someone... Well, you have it. Uh, Mark Rylance has it. Mm. You know, he has both strong in him the masculine and the feminine and I spent the morning with Kate Tempest mm. and her artist she brought in was um, Serpent with Feet who stunningly gives us such access to a whole range of gender possibilities mm-hmm. inside them so I'm just fascinated by you I don't know age 16 being attentive to the pronouns in the songs mm. and ah it's a he and a him mm-hmm. and one of them is trying to deal with their sins mm. the other one's sort of gazing on mm. and it wasn't the Pet Shop Boys or Bronski Beat it was this strange folk music mm. jazzy I mean what I love about Polly's work is if you'd said that song was written in 1342 could I'd have been think, couldn't it? okay yeah yeah it's a really old <laughs> ballad you know <laughs> they're totally. timeless but they sound like nothing else yep and so simple in a way yeah the chorus just goes there was trouble taking place yeah I wonder how hard it is to distill the craft down to three chords, language a five-year-old could understand, (laughs) yet it thrums with such mystery and power. Yeah, I I mean, that's the genius of it, isn't it? What draws you back time and time again to listen to it. Yeah. And Polly Live Mm. is such a potent figure isn't she because she's this tiny tiny creature you know i don't know whether she's a sparrow or a a young crow and then she's in front of a massive crowd at a stadium and it comes through her doesn't it Mm -hmm. i mean again like if i'm feeling lost if i feel just a bit battered by the world and everything i'll go back to polly as well like i go back to jenna or you know I, i would watch her so you have a kind of like a medicine cabinet Definitely. of culture <laughs> yeah. that can... It seems like Jenna and Polly Harvey are almost like rescue remedy. Like, ah, I'm lost. I need something that roots me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, acting... I mean, it's such an extraordinary thing to do with your life. And also so... It can, you can get so lost because every job is asking something different of you. The circumstances might not be ideal. There might not be very much direction and very little in the way of sort of love and protection and being held. 
And so you can get really, you can lose your way. And so you need those things to tune back into what it is you love, what you, why you're doing it in the first place. And all of the people we've spoken about have such clear, they're not just doing it for fame or money or there's something far more important that they're mm. doing this work for. Yeah. Um, I think that's so important to remember because you can get knocked out by the industry aspect of, of this work and business and so on. Yeah. That's something really useful for everyone to know, isn't it? That, and they may be doing it anyway, that use your culture... Use the things you love as a way of returning you to yourself. You've got these things, which are entirely your choices. Yeah. You can read that thing again. Yeah. You can play that program or film. Yeah. And you just take a breath. Yeah. I find it extremely um, helpful. Also, it gives you something to aim for. It sets the bar so high. Yeah. If I need a real like kick up, you know, not to get complacent, not to get watching someone like Jenna and John acting. I, to me, that's just that's the best. Yeah. I've never done anything, never achieved anything like it. So you you you, you want to you feel you want to go again. You want to yeah. get that's out there lovely. and. <laughs> yeah, and like as you say with Joy Williams, there's nothing commercial about that story the short story anyway is such a kind of idealistic thing yeah they they don't make money no they're like short films they're these just beautiful thing art for art's sake and it's so single-minded and then polly as well she's uncompromising she could be going around the country doing all the early hits she just wants to keep moving forward yeah so if we return to the culture to allow us to return to ourselves that's one thing and then as artists the people that inspire us are so important in our work because they embolden us to get back out there. Yeah, I think that's absolutely it. Also, none of these things are things you'd listen to or watch every day. No. You know, they're, for, they're, they're for, rich. They're really rich. And I, I love big commercial things as much absolutely. as the next person, and we need that too. And I've, but, um, but yeah, these are like little, they're little special things in a, that t- touch a really deep personal place soul yeah music yeah it, it is that um i feel quite exposed even talking about them they, they mean so much to me yeah i want other people to love them as much as i do and i know people won't because some people might but some people won't because it's well people just like lots of different things don't they and but they're quite particular i know they're quite particular i mean would you like to inflict your taste on others and <laughs> coerce them to like it definitely or not. do you gently just offer it and you might like it you might not i've gently offered all of these people to other people are you upset if the offer is repelled or if someone doesn't like that thing i definitely have a moment of like you've gone down in my estimation a little bit yeah <laughs> But um, no, of course I don't really. I because I, it's it's personal, isn't it? It's so deeply personal. What speaks to you? Yes, but if at core we are what we love. Mm. I mean, we're on a theatre stage. There was this famous review of 
you played him on the radio, Jimmy Porter, of Look Back in Anger. Mm. And Kenneth Tynan said, I don't think I could love anyone who didn't love Look Back in Anger. <laughs> and you might say it's cultural snobbery, all this, you know, do you like this, you don't like that. But if the things that you hold dear, these three things, for example, mm. were spurned by someone, is it that bad to then slightly take a step back and think, ah, oh, well, are we in the same tribe? Well, yeah, no, you're not quite. But that's also, that's life. Yeah. Um, and some things are just your own. Like, it's just, just for you. And it doesn't matter if what anyone else thinks. I'm getting caught up in this conversation <laughs> because I am a cultural snob. And I was bullied quite badly in a comprehensive school in South East London. And all the bullies, I thought, liked terrible music. Right. And I used it as a mark of my difference that I loved punk and mm. I loved disco. Mm. I just thought, I, I'm better than you. And I think I've carried that superiority in, I'm realising, quite a dubious way through my life. <laughs> and you're encouraging me to say, no, be open to all people because we're all different and you can have an affinity with someone and they don't have to like John Cassavetes. There was an interview with Werner Herzog and he said, you've got to watch everything. Yeah. You've got to watch the trash. It's almost more important that you watch... Yeah some shitty daytime TV thing. You'll learn something, as well as, you know, high art or... I mean, in a way, the, those distinctions... I think he was just trying to dissolve the distinctions between things, and actually anything can be food, in a way, or, or can inspire thinking, or you can learn something. I really believe that. You've yeah. opened me up there. <laughs> and... Sometimes I will put on something like Heart Radio. Yeah. Knowing that it will generate something that could be quite affecting. Yeah. And I would judge it because it's populist or something. But actually, who's to judge something that comes from that place? And Totally, totally. And there's, you know... I mean, sometimes I look at what I've listened to on my iPod in a day and it's like so extreme. Yeah, <laughs> it really like I, I jump all over the yeah. place. But the, each thing um, contains something that you're trying to yeah. get in touch with a feeling yeah. or a. And I really think culture finds you, yeah, as well as you finding it. And I think there's some mysterious algorithm about the songs that come up in shuffle that yeah. you need to hear. Yeah. And I take you back to being in New York. Boom, Joy Williams. Yeah, she saying, just landed. Hello. There. Yeah, take me. Yeah. So I think we have to trust that in the push. What comes in, yeah. yeah. What just sort of arrives in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, thank you so much. Oh. I so enjoyed. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Talking to you. And I it's loved always. my last few weeks absolutely immersing myself in your choices. I'm really touched that you did that. And um, I was, it was really nice to talk about these things. Yeah. What I Love was created and hosted by me, Ian Rickson. The theme music is by PJ Harvey. This episode was recorded at the Harold Pinter Theatre and is produced by Sarah Murray for Storyglass. And during our conversation, Ben and I discussed 
Love Streams, directed by John Cassavetes, produced by Canon Films, The Garden, Demo, by PJ Harvey, on Island Records, and Joy Williams' short story, Chaunt, first published by The New Yorker. Thank you, and see you next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.